Hello, and welcome to The Top 3, a podcast where we discuss the definitive rankings of everything. I am your host, Kieran Davey. Today, I am joined by advertising guru Sam Azula to discuss the top three advertisements. Let's dive in. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the Top 3 Pod. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you here. Today, we're going to be discussing advertisements and dive into kind of brands and marketing. And we're lucky to have you because you are a marketing specialist, correct? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I work at an advertising agency. So all I do every single day is make ads and think about ads and argue about ads in a professional context. So so talking about what makes an ad good or what makes an ad bad, that's kind of like your bread and butter. Yeah, that's right. You, you'd be surprised how much disagreement there is even amongst professionals, but we'll try to get to some consensus today. Fair. Well, I'm happy yeah, to look towards your slightly more professional opinion. Out of curiosity, are most ads that you see like on TV or on the internet, do you think they're generally good or generally bad by your like professional standards? I think most ads are terrible. Okay. They're, they're what what do you think? What what do you think? Here? Well, see, I'm I'm not much of a consumer. I'm not big into just buying things in general. <laughs> this is an area of personal growth for me. I could buy more things, but I'm pretty frugal, so I'm pretty I'm pretty ad resistant in general as an audience. I'm pretty resistant. You buy nothing, Kieran. You don't buy. Do you buy laundry detergent? I buy a few things, it's true, but generally I am not one to see an ad and be like, maybe I'm subconsciously being affected, but I feel like generally if I buy stuff, I'm like choosing to buy. I, I feel like I sound like a fool now. <laughs> like telling, the, no, telling the advertising specialist, it's like, no, I buy things because I want to. And you're like, yeah, that's what you think. Yeah. I, one of the hardest things about advertising research is that most people like to think they're not influenced by ads, even though we have pretty conclusive studies based on people's behavior that they are, but it makes it really hard because what people say, what people say about themselves or believe about themselves is often not actually very true. In the same way that like, if you ask someone how often do they go to the gym, they'll probably over-report how often they go to the gym. It's the same effect when you ask somebody what they think of a bank or what they think of an ad, what they say actually doesn't match up with, with what they think because they have a higher opinion of themselves than reality. Yeah, that's probably the camp that I'm falling into. A higher opinion of myself <laughs> than reality, I think, sounds like probably accurate. And so then I guess like, yeah, any sort of like self-report survey in measuring an ad's effectiveness, like that's kind of useless because nobody has any sense of, of what they're doing. It has some use. You could ask people whether they remember seeing an ad. That's a little bit more useful. You could ask whether they like an ad. It's a little bit more useful. There's some things. There's there's always there's always some use, but it's it's pretty tough. That's like immediately gets into why like even we don't know what really makes a good ad or a bad ad conclusively because it's it's pretty hard to tell. Interesting. Well, that's fascinating. So out of curiosity, then with you now finding out behind the scenes advertising world, has that affected the way that you? relate to ads and consuming products? Are you like hyper aware of your big influence now? Oh, totally. I think that's one of the biggest problems is as soon as you start working on in advertising or like any of my clients who like work on a, on a particular brand, they immediately lose all sense of empathy for what regular people feel like, <laughs> because like, you know, you're out here working five days a week, eight hours a day. Let's be honest, most of the time, way more thinking and about 
I don't know, A&W or Shaw Internet. And like, no one is, no one is doing that. The most anyone is thinking about your brand is like half a second in the grocery store, or maybe like, I don't know if they really care, really like burgers. Maybe they're thinking about you a little bit more leading up to the lunch break. But, <laughs> but one of the toughest things I think about working in marketing is like you immediately lose sense of what regular people think about because you you leave that world as soon as you as soon as you enter the marketing world. Yeah, if you're you know walking down the street and thinking like, what am I going to have for lunch? How much is the like the advertising campaign affecting your lunch decision? Like it's hard to hard to say. It's kind of whatever you're feeling at the time, right? What are your feelings on targeted advertisements and your Google search history now going towards what ads are being shown? Do you think this is good because it gives more like effective marketing? Is it like too invasive? What are your feels? I think the effectiveness of that type of advertising is actually really overblown. The biggest case study in this kind of invasive advertising, quote unquote, like highly targeted invasive advertising is uh, Cambridge Analytica. They supposedly did all this very scary data mining on Facebook to figure out deep psychographic traits of individual users, targeted very specific advertising to them. People from Facebook themselves have come out and looked at the data and and shown that the Cambridge Analytica ads actually are, are not any more effective than a regular ad with absolutely no targeting on it. Interesting. It's just a really compelling story. I think like it's just a very interesting story for media to latch on to. So and like everyone's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like people are in my brain. It makes a lot of sense. But like actually when we look at the data, big TV ads like before Super Bowls and things like that, like that target mass audiences, tend to actually be way more effective at moving sales than that targeted stuff. And people actually consider them to be more relevant than the targeted stuff, which is also very a weird thing. A big TV ad that has a really a really interesting narrative, like in the same way that a big blockbuster movie has a really interesting narrative, is still more relevant to everyone than an ad that just like use it has your name in it and like mentions your city or says something like that. Like we there's still a lot of big points of cultural connection that we have nationally or even internationally in some cases it's way more profitable for advertisers to tap into that than it is for them to go super super niche come up with like millions of different very very targeted ads interesting and so i guess then maybe just that story of the you know very specific target advertising just fits onto some of these other kind of contemporary issues of like data privacy social media echo chambers and these kind of like other issues so it fits in schemas that are familiar to us but maybe isn't super accurate i just think it's it's so wild because advertising right now i feel like it's bigger than it was before like rather than just being in tv or radio or whatever you know we spend so much time online and social media people like influencers are just living on the fact that they're popular celebrities and get these sponsorship deals and companies and it's so just embedded in the way we're living right like advertisements is how people are getting their livelihoods but at the same time i think it's become a a lot more fragmented even 20 years ago people's media habits were kind of contained to television and magazines and maybe print media and a little bit online since the last 20 years our media habits have just become a lot more fragmented so it's it's just become much harder to make big cultural moments because you have to kind of find a way to have that come through in like 20 different channels as opposed to four. And even within those big channels, like TV, 
it used to be that there'd be like a few moments throughout the year that you could buy an ad on, you know, before the Oscars or something. And a lot of people would see it. But even viewership of events like the Oscars has has gone down. It's halved actually just in the last year alone. It's like the Super Bowl, a few big other sporting events, and that's kind of it <laughs> in terms of big cultural moments. So the jobs definitely become harder. You kind of have to you have to be more crafty with how you break through. It's interesting too because I feel like on the one hand, anybody can now buy ads on like Instagram for their posts or Facebook, and you get ads on you know every YouTube video will have like one or two ads on it. But then also, if you're on something like a paid subscription, like Netflix or Spotify, and like Netflix is like functionally kind of ad free in like the conventional sense. And I think that's really interesting in that on the one hand, you're seeing more ads probably than before, but sometimes also maybe less like conventional TV to Netflix. It's like totally different. For sure. I also think you're seeing a lot more terrible ads. Yeah. <laughs> and the only reason for that is because I think before, again, pre-Facebook, let's say in a world where you could only like your only avenues for advertising or like newspaper ads, TV, whatever, billboards, the barrier to entry was a lot higher. Like you had to spend a lot of money to get onto TV and you had to be able to pay for a big TV shoot. There's only like a certain number of big spenders that could afford to do that. Yeah, to like film a commercial, right? Totally. You kind of had a certain quality of advertising that existed because everyone hired an advertising agency to make something. Whereas now... I could I could go right now or my I don't know my mom you could go right now and like buy an ad on Facebook. It's very easy to do and you could just the ad that you post could just be something you make on uh like paint. <laughs> on paint, yeah. That's a pretty drastic example, but it I I do think it's kind of like lowered the quality of advertising in general. It's, it's done worse for everyone because if that quality of advertising on average declines, then most people just become a little bit more they start hating advertising a little bit more in general. So then now like we're past this like golden age of advertisement and we're kind of in this like chaotic free for all. Yeah. What what about looking at it maybe now we're in this like egalitarian paradise where anybody can be an advertiser. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. I also want to be I want to be careful of like during every generation they look back at the previous generation as the golden age of advertising. So I don't want to I don't want to fall into that trap. Maybe I'm just falling into that trap and saying yeah, when TV comes out, everyone's like, ah, oh, it's ruining culture and everything about it. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, used to yeah. be just the newspapers. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so then do you subscribe to more of like a logos out lifestyle? Or do you prefer then like no no brands are going to like hijack my behavior? <laughs> Wait, can you elaborate? What do you mean? What What's an example of someone who lives a logo logo out lifestyle? Well, I won't name names, but people who are very much like here I am on an afternoon, like on Instagram story, they're like enjoying my Miller High Life <laughs> showcasing the brands. Or do you think it's better to like live and no logo clothing and like I'm not going to just be promoting the company? <laughs> yeah, man. I think I dress pretty plainly. Well, you're a good dresser. You have good style, Sam. Don't hate <laughs> on yourself in that way. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm not a logo that kind of person. Fair enough. So kind of returning to our original topic of conversation, looking at some like top three ads. Yeah. I know you've kind of a few that you've brainstormed as the marketing specialist and a few that I was thinking of. Soda Stream, Bubbles in Your Water. That's right. Uh, out of curiosity, do you know what year Soda Stream was founded in? 
Yeah, but, but only because I think I've had this conversation with you and James before. They're like from the early 1900s, right? Yeah, 1903. 1903. Just insane. SodaStream was founded the same year that the Wright brothers launched their airplane, like the first airplane. So SodaStream's been around for like, yeah, hundreds of years. Obviously gone through a few different advertising things. But they really hit gold, I think, in the mid-80s, kind of early 90s with the slogan, get busy with the fizzy, which I think is maybe the peak of slogans in general. They have this one ad on YouTube that I really like. These two like cool skater kids who are like flipping their bottles and like doing all kinds of tricks. And they're like, get busy with the fizzy. And it's so cool. That's hilarious. <laughs> and that's when they blew up. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if get busy with the fizzy directly correlated with SodaStream skyrocketing in popularity. It, I wouldn't be surprised. It's all the cool skater kids that are getting their sparkling water. <laughs> but anyway. I love that. I like to imagine the meeting where it happens. This is a fun thing to imagine anytime you see something slightly bizarre from a big brand is just imagine the very serious corporate meetings that happened. The bigger the brand also, the, the more it was presented to very serious people like CEOs and, and boards and things like that, where someone stood up and with conviction said, this is what I want you to invest millions of dollars in. Get busy with the fizzy. Yeah. This is the future of your brand. You're going <laughs> to plaster this all over billboards, TV ads. You're going to spend the GDP of a small country just yelling this from the rooftops from everyone. And trust me, it'll work. Yeah, it's true because like the, the bigger the brand, hours are being spent, serious conversations, and like it goes through so many people have to approve it for it to get released to the public, right? Like, you know, you work on the back end and like the process and how much time it takes. And that is, yeah, truly mind boggling when you think of some of these really terrible advertisements that are happening. But then sometimes they hit gold and, and sometimes it works. Yeah, I, I think there's two major reasons why most advertising is bad. One of the reasons is just the layers of approval. People seeing the work and being like, what? Make fizzy with the with the what? <laughs> what does that mean? Is that going to alienate yeah. people in Atlanta? I don't know. Like, th that's the type of thing people say in meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just gets whittled down to a very inoffensive, very vanilla. Oh, so you think your ad should be more provocative? Yeah, otherwise people forget them. The whole point of advertising, most people think advertising, like the main function of advertising is to persuade you to buy something. And that's true in like 1% of the cases. I don't know how, like, how many of your, your listeners are from Canada, but like A&W is a very good example of persuasive advertising actually working. Our burgers taste better and they're better quality because they're made with no hormones, no steroids. You feel better about it. That's kind of the, that's the pitch. And most people buy that and it's like, their their market share has grown. It's worked really well for them. That is like 1% of, of advertising actually works that way. The rest of advertising for the most part is, and this is not a bad thing, like it, it, it works really well and it's a strategy that works really well, is just getting your brand to be remembered so that when you think, Kieran, I'm going to buy some sneakers, the first brand that pops into your head is is Nike. When you say, I want to I wanna buy some furniture, the first brand that pops into your head is Ikea. That's not a coincidence. That's like, that's just the product of those brands spending a lot of money advertising to you. And the fact that that brand comes to mind for you first 
gives them a big advantage in, in the market. And it, it increases the chances that you're going to buy from them or you're going to notice them in the grocery store. And if you think of advertising like that as the objective of advertising to just create a memory, it totally changes how you evaluate advertising because like good advertising then just becomes stuff that is super, super memorable. Stuff that's super memorable is just stuff that's entertaining, that makes you laugh, that makes you like share it with your friends, that makes you talk about it. So then an, ex- an example from like contemporary times, the Old Spice guy felt like this like huge advertising thing where it has nothing to do with how the deodorant smells or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's this ridiculous, hilarious guy just like, you know, doing all these ludicrous things. And it's really fun though. And people would like share it and like talk about it. Yeah. I didn't know what Old Spice was before I like heard about these ads when I was growing up. And then, yeah. you know, now all of a sudden it's like the cool thing for people to be using as deodorant, which is kind of absurd, but. Totally. And it's not, a, it doesn't work on a, on a rational level where you like are, where you go into a store and you're like, oh, I liked this ad, therefore I'm going to purchase this deodorant. Or I want to be like the Old Spice guy. Like that's not it, right? Totally. It, it's not at all like that. It's just that you actually just notice that the Old Spice thing on the shelf whereas before you would have and there's like 50 options for deodorant every time you walk into a grocery store you just gravitate towards one that you recognize that's it that's how most advertising works yeah that changes it then and that means like you just have to be memorable which then like that could create some pretty wild ads if like we just want to be the most memorable ad feels like it could create some like monsters yeah for sure you can't just make an ad about anything it at the end of the day it still has to like link in people's minds to the brand that is advertising so old spice does a really good job Mm -hmm. of having a very consistent look and feel in all of their ads and having spokespeople that are consistent it's very clear within a first second that you're looking at an old spice ad even before you see a logo or anything that it is an old spice ad and that's the only tricky part is uh, making sure that that link exists in some way shape or form yeah, and as you mentioned at the beginning too, like maybe if you can tie that into like a story or a narrative like resonates with people, that's like even better. Yeah. Somebody a few years back from my agency shared the deck that Old Spice's agency presented to them way, way back before they even made that ad when they were like like one of the first presentations. I think their biggest competitor was Axe. Oh yeah. They just had a headline that said Everybody knows that your deodorant lasts 20 times longer than the leading competitor. Because that's that's probably what they had in all the ads, right? It was like, you know, that, that classic comparative ad where it's like, lasts 20% longer. And they're like, everyone knows your, your deodorant lasts 20% longer, but no one cares. That was the whole the whole slide. <laughs> and it, it just totally opened it up for them to be like, you're focusing on the wrong things. Like, yeah. no one cares about this persuasive argument. Just ditch this completely. I think for... For Old Spice too, it probably was driven by the fact that Axe had been doing this crazy advertising for 10 years that was doing really well for them. That was all about people using Axe and then like these hordes of women running towards the the one dude using the using the deodorant. And they've been doing that for 10 years and it worked for them. It has nothing to do. It's not a persuasive argument. It's just that it's an entertaining thing. Yeah. Nobody actually believes that like that's what yeah. reality is like if you use this product. Yeah. In your experience... If you see an ad that's like, oh, this thing, here's the leading competitor and like, here's the product. Is that legit or is it all just a sham? No, there's actually very like stringent standards about what you can put on TV and what you can say about TV when you make claims like that. Uh-huh. And that's it's the big tragedy of the whole thing because it takes so much energy, Kieran, to make an ad like that. And you have <laughs> to involve the legal department and like 
there's 20 rounds of revisions because they'll be like, oh, we can't actually say that. Yeah, like it has to be, you have to back it up legally and justifiably and stuff. Yeah, and everyone hates it. No one enjoys the process <laughs> and no one even likes the ads because no one cares. It's, it's the biggest tragedy. It's so sad whenever that happens. I can hear the... Yeah, the passion in your voice definitely is somebody who has had to deal firsthand with the frustrations of an ad like that. So I realize also by having you hop on to record this podcast episode, I'm kind of just hey, saying like, hey, Sam, for fun, let's hop in a meeting and talk about all the <laughs> stuff you spent so much time in meetings talking about. That's fine. I feel like everyone in advertising just they care a lot about what they do. Otherwise, there's no reason why they would be involved. Like you're not getting paid investment banker money where it's like, it's fine. I'll do this crazy work and I'll still get paid out a lot. Of, like if it pays decent, it's not, it's not crazy. And also it's just the hours are, hours are ridiculous. So usually the people who are doing it are just people who care a lot and are willing to talk about it for long periods of time. So it's, it's okay. Cool. 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 Well, it's, yeah, it's cool hearing the, the passion, knowing about how terrible most ads are. So it's, it's terrible on both sides. On the one hand, it's this free-for-all anarchy where anybody can post an ad. On the other hand, it's terrible because you have these stringent, everybody has to give approval and it's so careful. We want to find the balance between like quality control, but also the freedom, creative freedom to make memorable ads. I mean, I don't know. Ter- terrible is a strong word. At the end of the day, I always feel very lucky that I'm just getting paid to, maybe it's not all the ads I make, but for most of the ads we make, we still make pretty funny, interesting ads. But I, f- I feel like it's pretty it's pretty great that I just get paid to help people write jokes or make funny things or just think about what, what will entertain people. I mean, you know, feel free to use strong hyperbolic statements like it's terrible. I feel like it's 2021. It's the big statements <laughs> that uh, sell, right? Okay, so then uh, zeroing back in. All right, okay. And thinking about top three ads, what are some that you have in mind? Like here is quality advertising yeah 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 okay so i i'll just caveat off the top there's clearly ads that i think maybe most of your audience would recognize for example the the old spice guy that you mentioned or dosecki's most interesting man you know everyone knows these things i want to just go a layer deeper and offer some more surprising ads that maybe you hadn't thought of maybe they're from a different continent so you just hadn't seen them or maybe they're from 50 years ago so there's you know they're just not in the zeitgeist anymore but I think they're all advertising excellence, advertising being the best it can be. So I'll start with the one that is maybe the most familiar. Do you remember the old Yoplait ads? Oh, yes. <laughs> I do. I, if, if they're the ones that I'm thinking of. So I just watched the Yop Me Mama ad. But for anybody who is not familiar, the idea is it's kind of just these like unconscious teens or this like a teen who's like lying in his bed or passed out in the bathroom or something and even though they're unconscious their mouths are like singing very loudly this song yop me mama (laughs) i don't know how to describe this (laughs) if you haven't seen it just youtube yop 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 me mama i'm very confident that most most of your listeners if they grew up in canada would remember would remember the ad just based on the description that you gave. And this is, in your mind, the peak of advertising. Yes. I think it's so good. It's so good because, seriously, it's, I, if I really think back to my childhood, this is probably the only ad I remember. I saw someone on, on TikTok 
they just they found an effect that made their mouths do the same thing and they just set it to the music it had like a million views people loved it it was just it's this very vivid amazingly memorable ad that everybody remembers and it's brilliant because it has the name right in the song perfectly memorable it's perfectly linked to the brand and i bet you anything it drove sales for them back then and it still continues to drive sales for them now I'm sure it's a perfect example of one of those like absurd ads talking about where it really has nothing to do with the product, but it's memorable. And I believe this is actually originally like an anti-apartheid rally song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So they hired that musician. They hired that musician to do a custom yoke version. What? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's one of those things like the studio executives who are like, oh, this this will be good. That's insane. I think it's funny too that the musicians like I wrote this song. This fits within the song's purpose, <laughs> like slurpable yogurt. Just wild. I mean, if that's the one you're starting with, I, yeah, I have no idea what's what's coming next. <laughs> okay, these ones I don't think anyone will be familiar with unless they're from the UK. Just let me know what I can tell our listeners so they can YouTube along with us as they listen. Okay, I would search Tango ad so if you go on youtube and search tango ad yeah there is one in particular tango adverts from 91 to 97 it's a 20 minute video (laughs) i'm only gonna ask you to watch the first one because i I actually think it's the best one they riffed on this theme for 10 years a very very similar insane wacky ad watch the first one let me know what you think oh my gosh what an absurd ad that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I, this is my first time viewing that ad for sure. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but if you YouTube Tango ad and then the adverts 91 to 97 video, that first minute is a, a pretty wild minute. <laughs> I'm just going to describe it now because I, I want to I talk about it a bit more. So if you haven't seen it yet, just go see it. Pause this podcast and go see it and then, and then listen to us talk about it. The thing that's amazing to me about this ad is it was so viral. What happened was school kids, there was a sensation in in the UK where school kids would go around on the playground tangoing each other. (laughs) So they would go around slapping each other on the face from both sides the way the big orange man does. It became a problem. Like there was just violence happening in schoolyard. Because you're having kids just like assaulting (laughs) each other. Because of this advertisement. And I feel like it's such a high bar to aspire to, to incite, you know, light violence in schoolyards. It's like, that's when you know you've made an ad that's so famous and so infectious and so memorable that it's part of the popular zeitgeist. When it becomes like a behavioral problem amongst schools. (laughs) That's when you know, like, you've made it. I mean, fair enough. You don't see anybody, you know, getting detention because they watch the Old Spice ad, but... They check out the Tango one, and that affects you on a deep level. <laughs> and they riffed on that for 10 years. Wow. Yeah, so they just did they did 10 years of, of that concept. Yeah, all of which you could see uh, in, this, in this YouTube link. If you're ready for a 20-minute dive down Tango adverts. And the, the craziness escalates. If you thought that was wild just wait until you hit like 96 they they just keep escalating the ridiculousness because you have to you have to like up the bar i guess that's right (laughs) 
I didn't know what to expect for your top three ads. It was not these, for sure. <laughs> and so now I'm just like, what is Sam pitching at these like marketing meetings? He's like, here's what we need. <laughs> yeah, I, this is my best case scenario. I, I don't usually get away with doing stuff like this. Yeah. Like a new client comes to you and they're like, hey, I want you to design an ad campaign. And you're like, okay, here's what I think we should aim for. Here's the tango man. How can we get to there? <laughs> I've given you a selection of ads that makes me seem like I only like very surreal, wacky stuff. You could also make ads that are just very sincere and heartfelt and, and touching. And that's another way to go that's also memorable. I've just chosen not to share any of those because I think these are more fun to talk about. Yeah, you have never shared, even before this podcast, the only ads you've ever shared with me are the ones that are just insane <laughs> in their conception. Which I assume you're purely pitching insanity at your like marketing meetings. No, it's hard. It's hard because it's tough to get people to buy into the... Yeah, well, that's what I mean. How do they get people to like, how do they get this past the CEO? <laughs> It's so tough. I think it's it's very ingrained, both in just like how how regular people think about ads, but also how corporations think about ads. They have to be persuasive, and so it's it's a very deeply ingrained belief. And I I think there's been a a good wave of new behavioral science neuroscience research that's come out, like maybe just in the last ten years, that debunks it and supports that this kind of stuff is the way to go. We're early days. It's it's still hard to make that argument. What a wild world that would be. <laughs> that might be too much chaos for me. If every ad I'm seeing is just like surreal experimentalism, I'm like, I don't know if I can handle this. Every YouTube video I watch, I have to go through like, you know, 20 <laughs> seconds of surrealism. Okay, and then I have one more for you. This one's a very special treat. One of my coworkers sent it to me on Twitter. If you search Jim Henson coffee ads... Before he made it big with uh, with the Muppets, he was just trying to make bank with uh, with some ads. This was one that was particularly famous. Late 1950s. These were on the airwaves. Holy. The whole kind of concept, I guess, is these two puppets. I have to spoil it. Okay, yeah, pause if you haven't watched it. It's two puppets where one guy just basically kills the other for not liking Wilkins coffee. <laughs> At the end, he's just committing terrorism. He blows up the guy's house, right? And the, with the tagline is, strange things happen to people who don't like Wilson's coffee. Yeah. It's like, you never know what's going to happen. So I looked up this ad. There's a good article in the Washington Post about it that I love. I'll just read you a few excerpts from this article to talk about its popularity. The ads were a hit, wrote one newspaper critic. The TV public, weary of looking at such things as gargling stomach acids at work, took the Wilkins Muppets to heart. No TV commercial has ever known such popularity. Wilkins credited the spots with a 300% increase in home sales of its coffee. In 1958, 25,000 pairs of vinyl Wilkins and Watkins puppets were sold. So this was like a pop culture phenomenon, and it sold some coffee. It moved some coffee. It sold both coffee and puppets. <laughs> it was a huge thing. Wow. People like really back in the 50s, they were like, yeah, this is this is it. That's wild. Because it's one thing for it to be like a fun thing to watch, but like to attribute a 300% increase in sales, <laughs> this puppet going on the murder spree for Wilkins Coffee, that's wild. Yeah, those are the three I shared with you are just very simple examples of all you need 
for a good advertising campaign is just to create something that people like and that people find memorable and that is tied back to your brand in a just it doesn't have to be in a meaningful way it could be in a very superficial way but it just has to have some consistent link back to your brand and that's all you need to do Kieran. well those those three ads you shared are pretty nice <laughs> definitely if you if you haven't see them definitely go youtube them i was thinking you know like coca-cola had a good thing going with the santa claus of like maybe oh, yeah. we might go down there but these these three really showcase just how loose the connection can be between what the ad is about and what your product is to be successful it just has to be memorable they were all just very consistent like so they they, they ran those ads for 10 years but they only used those two characters and so it became ingrained in people's heads that, okay, these Muppets equals mm-hmm. this coffee in the same way that like, the, you know, people see the A&W spokesperson and they don't need to see an A&W logo. They just know it's an A&W ad. Yeah. So once you find something, stick with it, stick with it and like ride that, but you got to know what, what it is, if it's worth riding. That's right. It's the biggest decision to make. I guess that's what your job is, is to find out what's worth hanging our hat on for the next 10 yeah. years. Do we go with the, the giant slapping orange guy? I don't know. <laughs> for the record, the Coca-Cola stuff, the Santa Coca-Cola, very good. <laughs> they, they got Taika Waititi, what's his a famous director, to make the latest execution of that this Christmas. So look it up. Look it up online. Very good. Very heartfelt. You'll cry at the end of it. Also, coincidentally, nothing to do with Coca-Cola. Nothing like, no persuasive message about Coca-Cola embedded in there either. Also a very good example, but doesn't quite reach Jim Henson <laughs> uh, puppets killing each other over coffee, which, you know, I just want to inject some life into this podcast. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, that will probably wrap up our conversation there. Sam, it's been a pleasure. Do you have a, a piece of life advice you want to leave our, our listeners with before we sign off? The crossover between advertising and practical tips for everyday life is really is really niche <laughs> the venn diagram is like a like just two separate circles <laughs> yeah okay well we have this thing that we call the one or 100 rule the idea is that your best idea could be your first idea or it could be your hundredth idea but you will have no idea until you think up a hundred ideas when I first heard it, I thought it was a very fresh way of thinking about creativity through sheer quantity of coming up with ideas. And I once had one of our creative directors tell me he thinks the difference between a very creative person and a not creative person or, or someone who doesn't self-describe as being a creative person is just that the uncreative person just gets discouraged when they have their first bad idea. But a creative person just like <laughs> has the perseverance and grit to have just bad ideas and just to keep coming up with more ideas until they come up with something interesting. Not to get caught up in this self-censorship, self-doubt that I think could come from a lot of creative endeavors. Just to keep going and to keep up, come up with a lot of ideas and eventually you'll kind of hit something. But the minute you're self-critical, it kind of everything starts to cave in. Well, yeah, I think I think that resonates a lot too because I feel like that you can even apply that more like abstractly. Maybe even if you look at like like relationships or like jobs or anytime things like don't work out like that's not the stopping it's part of the process of like getting to the good stuff you know yeah yeah totally i guess yeah we're very good at glorifying the end result whether it's an ad campaign (laughs) or whether it's a a friendship that works really well or a relationship that works really well you don't see is the patience and the grit that's holding that up 
so yeah, I guess it's broadly applicable. There you go. We did it. We found the cross section <laughs> advertising and general life advice. Well, thanks uh, again. Thanks again for joining me. It's been a fascinating conversation. Cool to hear your perspectives and also, yeah, some pretty fun, some pretty fun ads. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Anytime. Cool. Thanks, Sam. That brings us to the end of the show. Big thank you to Sam for joining me today. And thank you so much for listening to the top three. We hope that you enjoyed our discussion of the top three advertisements. If you would like to suggest a topic to be discussed or you would just like to say hi, please leave a comment or message us on Instagram at the top three pod. You can also email us at the top three pod at gmail.com. The music featured in this podcast is by Sebastian Ochoa Mendoza. If you would like to support this podcast, please tell your friends about it. I hope that you have a lovely day.